Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would, get your Bibles open them up to the book of Acts, chapter 3. Acts, chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 here in a minute, but I need to give you a little bit of a background. Um, The book of Acts was written by Luke, and it was written as a historical book. Um, If you look at it in, you know, the way they categorize books, uh, the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts, although the gospel according to Luke is a gospel, it is also considered history. Um, and the book of Acts is also considered history. If you look at both of those books, the beginning of those books, Luke actually addressed that to an individual whose name was very Roman, very Gentile. Um, so it was a record that was compiled. Um, Luke was an eyewitness to some of the things. You notice when you read through this, uh, you read through this particular letter, um, a lot of times Luke will use the words we and us. Uh, so a lot of people think that Luke wasn't around at that time. Luke was an eyewitness to some of the events. Um, he wasn't an eyewitness to all of the events. Uh, he certainly um, um, he certainly investigated these things and used many of the apostles. No doubt, uh, John and Peter were very involved with this. But it's believed that one of the greatest um, resources that Luke had was actually Philip and Philip's daughters. Um, the apostle Paul spent two years in prison, the same location that Philip lived. So it would have provided Luke with ample opportunity to, 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 to gain a whole bunch of information on the life of Jesus Christ from Philip, uh, and his two daughters. Um, although it's considered a history account, it also has a quite a bit of theology in it. Um, some of the difficulty in translating the book is being able to separate what was historical and what was theological. It's really not that difficult when you when you're reading it. It's pretty simple to be able to to be able to see the point behind the theological statements involved in this. But it is a very interesting time. The more that you think about it, um, if you remember, just a short time previous to this, Jesus Christ was crucified, and where were all the apostles hiding? They were afraid for their lives. This was not long ago. Um, and we see in, in this particular book, and you say, what in the world happened? Well, first of all, what happened was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit um, empowered the apostles. We're going to see some examples of that empowerment in uh, this passage of Scripture. Uh, this is right after the establishment of the model of the church um, in chapter 3, just previous to chapter 3. If you look into the first or the, the last half of chapter 2, that's actually where 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. And we see some other accounts as we go forward. There was a day where 5,000 was added to the church. There's a day where 1,000 was added to the church. I mean, we're talking huge numbers of individuals coming to know Jesus Christ. But it happened through the boldness, the, the bold proclamation of the gospel. The bold proclamation of the gospel was the key to individuals coming into the church um, in large numbers, in huge numbers. Uh, in this particular story, we're still going to see some of the, some of the evidence of, <clears throat> of the Jews, the pious, 
uh, the, the piety, the pious attitudes of the individuals who were religious leaders at the time. Um, but we're also going to see some very simple, applicable truth uh, in this particular part of the book of Acts as well. So read along with me. Uh, Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Now, just for information purposes, why in the world would they sit somebody at the gate of the temple? Piety. Um, when an individual was sitting at the, at the gates of the temple, individuals loved to be seen actually giving money to lame individuals. It made them look like they were righteous people. So they made, made a lot of sense. I mean, if you wanted to get some money, the best place to, to beg would be right there at the gate of the temple where, uh, where all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees could actually see you giving money to an individual who was lame and it would raise your, your uh, social stature uh, by you being seen doing that. Verse 3, And when he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright, began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man sitting at the gate begging for alms, Peter walks up and he says, he says, this in a nutshell, looking for money? I don't have any. But what I do have, I'll give you. Now, in a modern day, we can translate that to this. I think that we've kind of, in our culture, have come to the point of thinking, in order for us to be able to use what Jesus Christ has given us, we have to be, we have to have money. We have to have the personality. We have to have the information. I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with information. There's, you'd certainly want to learn as much as you can learn. Uh, but I don't know how many times we've used excuses in our lifetime. Uh, why don't you share the gospel? I'm afraid somebody asked me a question I can't answer. It's okay for you not to, because I want to tell you something. Somebody's salvation is not going to hinge on your ability to answer a question. Uh, we fall into the trap of believing that we're actually saving people rather than, rather than us giving the uh, credit to where the credit is due. It is the Holy Spirit that leads the individual. And God can use, he can use individuals who are broke. He can use individuals who, who uh, are very ill-equipped to uh, lead people to him if he chooses to do so. Um, I have a brother who was... Uh, who was impacted hugely by his, at that time, three-year-old daughter walking up to him and saying, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to go to church. Said it felt like that that little girl just took a knife and shoved it right into his chest and twisted it. 
God can use anything that he wants to use. So this guy was looking for money. Peter knew this man didn't need money. This man needed Jesus. So Peter extended Jesus Christ to this man instead of what it was he was looking for. Now, I'll grant you, today, you're liable to walk into individuals who, if you offer them Jesus, they would rather have the money. Um, but it shouldn't stop us from extending Christ to those individuals anyway. Verse 11 says, While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them to the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why do you gaze at us as, as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered up has disowned has disowned in the presence of and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Before I go further, we'll start back at 14. It's important for us to understand that the Jews had always seen the apostles as individuals who were a threat to their religion. Peter, by saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of, your, of our forefathers, the God of our fathers, by him saying this, he was, of course, they're at the temple. He's dealing with Jews. This would have related to the Jews very well that this Jesus, who we're speaking about, that just gave this man the ability to walk, this is Jesus who was spoken of by your forefathers. And he does this again with Moses, just a little bit further down. But he's tying the line between those individuals who are historically Judaists, the individuals who held to the Old Testament uh, form of religion, and Jesus Christ. And it was important for him to do that in this particular group of people because of the fact that, I mean, he's about to be offensive if he hasn't been offensive already. He's already said, whom you have disowned. So, I mean, imagine, and, and he, a little bit further down, he talks about it in, in ignorance. And, and Peter understood um, that... The Jews did what they did, and I'm going to tell you, this is not milk. This is not milk. The Jews had to reject Christ. They had to. Jesus himself even said that he spoke in parables so that the individuals, while seeing, would not understand. While hearing, they would not perceive. In other words, Jesus was telling them stories, but the Jews had to not understand this when Jesus was speaking it. But after the Jews rejected Christ, and that led to his crucifixion, the crucifixion is now gone. It's behind them. Now it's important that Peter begin to speak to them in such a way as for them to understand the capacity of which that death, burial, and resurrection has the ability to affect their lives from this point forward. So he's pouring it on thick, and he pours it on thicker when you get a little bit farther down. But when he says, whom you disowned, he's, he's actually taking the things that are considered factual, and we'll get to a little bit more why we consider this to be factual, the things that were factual to the Jews, and it would have been different. I mean, we're reading this out of a story. you got to imagine this whole thing unfolding from the time of Jesus Christ's arrest to his death, burial, and resurrection to his ascension 
and how this would have actually played out in the culture at that particular time. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, what was the accusation? That somebody took his body. Some time has passed. Where's the body? Every claim that had been made why that temple or why that tomb was empty, there was no affirmation to any of those stories. Those things had died out. At the very least, this would have made individuals think, hey, maybe this did happen. You talk about the individuals who actually saw, who saw the individuals who had passed on before. It's real. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he went down, he unlocked that one side of Hades to take people to paradise. The individuals who were in, in uh, Hades or Sheol at that time. And there were eyewitnesses who saw those individuals who had formerly passed there was a lot of things that happened that brings affirmation to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. At the very least, individuals had to be able to ponder the possibility. And Peter is, is drawing, his, he's drawing their attention to that event so that they can understand. And he gives them a little bit uh, more reasons as we get a little bit farther down here. So 14 says, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. We're familiar with that part of the story. Um, Pilate said that it was it was traditional for them to release to them on that day a, uh, a prisoner, and the people demanded they release Barabbas, uh, which led to Jesus Christ's continued persecution that led to his crucifixion. It says, But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Did you notice that? We, Luke, was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all of the prophets that as Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I want to stop there real quick. This refreshing uh, that he's speaking of, in context with what the Jews were experiencing, these Jews are continuing to to put forth their, their labor and their effort. And now there's nothing wrong. Matter of fact, I want to encourage everybody to put forth your, uh, your labor and your effort. Um, but not because putting forth your effort brings more happiness for you from God. That's why the Jews did it. The Jews did it because they had been, they'd been following this tradition that said that if you didn't do what at this time, the Pharisees were telling you to do that you couldn't go to heaven. So the time that Peter's talking about for them is this time where he's he's telling them, repent and be refreshed as a result of the story that I just told you. Um, in context to us, who doesn't occasionally need a time of refreshing? In the Greek, that word refreshed, 
Um, it actually means revival. A time of revival. You ever, you may even be in one of those spots now. Whether you're in those spots now or you've been in one in the past, if, you, if, you, if you're not and you haven't been, you're going to be. You ever been in one of those spots where you just wasn't feeling it? And by feeling it, I mean it just seems like that the blessing, you know, the, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, um, the desire to pick up the Bible and read it, the desire to, to pray and have a conversation with God, the desire to get up and go to church, those things, we get in those spots where we become so pressed down by the world and we begin to even forget the faith that we have learned. We begin to worry about things. We begin to struggle with things. We begin to be more tempted by things. We continue to be individuals who in areas of our life fail and those things just continue to beat us down more and more and more. When it comes right down to it, when we get into those spots, we need that time of refreshing too. We need that time to be reminded that Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave three days later. We need at times to remember Regardless of our circumstances, he is still on his throne. Regardless of our circumstances, the power that brought him out of the grave is still the power that works within us. Regardless of the challenges that we may face, the God who gave David the strength to stand against Goliath is the same God that he always was. In, in most cases, in, if not all cases, when we find ourselves in those spots, it's not because God's walked away from us. It's because we've walked away from him. Everybody needs a reminder once in a while. We need a reminder in whom our anchor holds. We need a reminder in who the God is that we serve. We need the reminder of what it is that he's already accomplished in our life. What it is that he's done for the individuals that are around us. And we have the ability through remembering those things, to be okay. Not perfect. You might find yourself in a week, two weeks, right back in the same place. And there's this big popular thing, and I'm going to say this because it's something I've always believed. Individuals rededicate their life way too much. I said it, and I mean it. Christians don't really have rededications. Every day, we're individuals who are supposed to be paying attention to where, we, where we're at, where we've come from, what we're headed to. Every day, we're supposed to be individuals who are mindful of that. If we was, gonna, if we was going to have a rededication, if we were going to call it that, how often should a rededication happen? Every day of our lives. Once we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ, it's not like when we get ourselves in that funk, when we're all in that place, it's not like Jesus says, oh, I'm withdrawing my grace from you until you actually realize and get your head screwed on straight. He doesn't do that. Once you place your trust in Jesus, you're sealed till the day of redemption. That sealing until the day of redemption <clears throat> means regardless if you make mistakes, because you're going to, 
and this is this is my whole deal with this um, eternal security of the believer. Nobody can tell me, um, and I have a lot of friends who believe that that there is no such thing as eternal security. Nobody can give me the set of rules that you have to live by to lock that in. And by lock that in, I mean you never do lose your salvation as long as you keep up with the do's and don'ts that are in the Bible. And if you ask five or six different people, guess how many different lists you get? Five or six different lists. Jesus died once for all. Someone who has truly given their life to Christ. And I mean truly given their life to Christ. You have eternal security. First John chapter 5, I believe verse 13. I say these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. As individuals, we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have anything to fret over. We don't have anything... Why is he called the peace? Why is he called the Prince of Peace? And why is that peace considered a peace that passes all understanding? He's offered it to us. He's extended it to us. We walk away from it occasionally. We lose our peace. We have to return to him, be refreshed every now and then. And then we get right back to the point where we understand what it is that he's done for us. Nineteen, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. We have Jesus in the present in the sense that his sacrifice has brought restoration between us and the Father. And he continues to tell the story. This Jesus, he is in heaven until the appointed time of the refreshing, the return of Christ comes. How much time do you have? If I've seen some interesting things, that, and there's no way to know the accuracy of this, but I think the principle is accurate. If you take a 24-hour day, how much time do you spend worrying? How much time do you spend doubting? How much time do you spend in sin? How much time do you spend really enjoying the quality of life that Jesus Christ provides? Because, I mean, it, the world's getting rough. And it's getting rougher, and it's going to continue to get rougher. But I can tell you, folks, that when we look out at the church today, if you brought a lost person into the typical Baptist church, do you think that that person would walk out of the church that morning wishing that they could become a part of that? Is there really anything supernatural going on in the life of Christians? These days, 
plenty of stuff to be disappointed in. Amen? Should Christians be living a life of disappointment? There's plenty of things to struggle with. Should Christians be living a life of struggle? We're fighting a real fight. I'm not minimizing the fact that we have real problems. But in light of all that God has already done for us, and in light of the promise that he's made that one day he's returning for us, are we making the most of our time? Or are we allowing ourselves to become distracted by thoughts and emotions that really and truthfully were fallen? I get it, but we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have. My dad told me several things that come to mind, and I'm sure that your parents or your dad probably has told you this at some time in your life. He said, if you work for the sake of work, you're never going to like your job. But if you do something that you love to do, you'll really never work a day in your life. So why does church seem like work? Do we really love what it is that God's called us to do? Because if we do, we'll do it. Not for a return, but just for the sake of the fact that we love it. And we have to be willing to admit, we allow ourselves to get distracted by things. We forget about the fact that we may not have a tomorrow. May not have it. It's not promised. It, it can be scary. I'll grant you that. I go to the doctor. They check my pulse. If it's beating 60 beats a minute. That's one beat a second. Every one of them is a blessing. Because the next one's never promised. And I ask myself this question. What kind of legacy do I want to live? When I'm gone, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave? Because I have my kids. I think for the most part, been a positive influence in their lives. Life's not over for them, at least at this point. The opportunity to model a relationship, the opportunity to model Christ, the opportunity to, a model, to model what the gospel looks like, to model time management and to model service and what service looks like, the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people that we know and love, the individuals who we don't know. In some cases, we do know that they're lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And we spend so much time worrying about what? The temporary? Last year, over $600 billion was spent in the United States on health care. Nothing wrong with making sure you're healthy. Nothing wrong with that at all. But just how far can that get you? We've all been told 
We've been told by the one that we give our life to that our time's precious, that we're supposed to be individuals who are making the most of that time. We know the gospel. We trust the gospel. The hourglass is running. How many of you in here know individuals who that you've been praying for, hoping that they would hear the gospel and respond to it? Hopefully every one of us have that list of individuals that we're lifting up to God on a daily basis. So much time. Twenty-two, he says, Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. Same thing I said earlier. Peter is using the authenticity of Judaism, Christ coming out of Judaism, him being a Jew himself. Moses was the most respected prophet from of the Jews. We know this even just by reading the accounts of the Bible. Every time that you see a prophet quoted um, in the New Testament, Moses is the one who was, who was being quoted. Moses was used by Jesus Christ in many cases, because they, Moses was the one prophet that the Jews most aligned with when it came to them seeing him as a uh, significant figure in Judaism. So Peter quotes a passage of scripture that points out that Moses himself said that another would be coming. How many times do we have to be told? I mean, honestly, how many of us get upset at our kids because, and we'll even say that out of our mouths, how many times do I have to tell you? Right? I could just imagine God up there on a daily basis being the exact same way with us. How many times do I have to tell you? How many people do I have to send to you with the word? How many ways do I have to show you who I am, what I've done? How many times do I have to tell you what it is that I'm intending to you? How long does it take for this to get through Keith Perrin's thick skull? Because the fact is, we seem to be very forgetful. God knew this. That's why the Apostle Paul says things like, saying the same thing to you again is not a trouble for me. That's why we see everything that the Bible teaches us being repetitive. God knows that we're thick-headed. He knows that we're individuals that are easily misled, that we're individuals who can pull our eyes off the prize. He knows this. So he uses Moses. Verse 30 says, It shall be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets of the covenant of God, of the covenant God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed uh, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that prophecy. 
this would have been something very difficult for the Jews to be able to grasp, especially during the New Testament times and previously, because God's chosen people were always understood to be Jews. And although I, I, I understand that we could get into a theological discussion on this, I would point you to Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, where it says in a nutshell that a Jew is not one who is a Jew outwardly, but a Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly. Our circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. The unusual thing about this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the Jewish families, the Gentile families too. The idea of being grafted in. When Jesus talked in the gospel according to John chapter 15 about being the true vine and the father being the vine dresser, the pruning process that happens to those who are in the vine. Those that are in the vine, vine, that don't belong in the vine, they get removed, piled up and burned. Verse 26 says, For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. I've said many times before that I understand the complications with being a non-believer and trusting in Christ and this concept that I hear individuals say often, But if I give my life to Jesus, I have to change. As a Christian, I do find it difficult to understand why when you extend Jesus Christ to someone, explaining to them what his love is, telling them the gospel story of his perfect life lived, his death, burial, and resurrection, People can be so mean by having grace and mercy extended to them. The Jews had complications with this. We also have complications with this. Everything that the Bible tells us to do, it's not to give God some sense of authority that we're all willing to admit. He already has. Amen? There isn't one thing in the Bible that God tells us to do that is not good for us. There is not one thing in the Bible that God tells us to do that is not good for anyone else. Everything he tells us is good for us. Everything he tells us is good for the gospel. Everything he tells us is good for other people. Why is sanctification important? Because it makes you believable. Doctrinal integrity, Christian integrity, those things are important because it makes you believable. It makes us as individuals, it gives us the ability to tell a story about a very real person from a very real past that if all we can do is provide the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be able to start working that person's mind. Not a very difficult thing to authenticate. 
There really was a Jesus that existed. All these cities that it brings up, all of these prophets, there are, hysteri- there are historical records that show that these are absolute facts. We just need to be individuals who understand that Jesus Christ didn't ask us to save the world. That was his job. He didn't ask us to take on more than we can handle. Matter of fact, he's promised us that he would never put more on us than we can handle. He's promised us that he would never allow us to be put in a place where he didn't provide a way out. The church has to be the church. And somebody asked me the other day, why is it that you don't think that there are just thousands and thousands of people in the United States who are giving their life to Jesus? Got some questions for you. Do you think that the world being as bad as it is has anything to do with it? Be careful. Because it doesn't. How bad can bad be? How bad would bad have to be to be able to reject the Holy Spirit? People are not being saved like they used to be. They're not. But it's not because the world's getting worse. It's because the church has stopped being the church. It doesn't share the gospel. Don't answer this question out loud. You want me to prove it? I'll prove it to you. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? It's not happening. And I'll grant you, there are a whole lot of things that are going on that we could use for some type of justification. But is there really any justification for this? Look at Peter. Denied Christ three times. Jesus provided him with mercy. The Peter we see in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts is not, he's the same person, but he is not the same Peter as the Peter that was at the end of the Gospels. And it's because he experienced an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He didn't think that his well-being was his responsibility. He got it. His well-being was God's responsibility. He understood that he would be proclaiming a message that especially at that time was very unpopular. He understood that that message could and eventually would lead to his death. But he had to have got it. Somebody asked me why. Glad you asked. Because he was willing to die for it. He got it. And he wasn't the type of guy that just kept his mouth shut. They decided to crucify him. And he stuck his finger right in their eyeball by saying, I am not worthy to die the same way that my Lord did. 
and they crucified him upside down. He got it. We need to get it too. And even if we had it, we need to get it again. Because you know as well as I do that the longer you go beyond the day you placed your trust in Jesus, the less power you exhibit in the life that you live. Who remembers? You remember the day you trusted in Christ? What could stand in your way? Nothing. You talk about reckless abandonment. When we first come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we were overflowing and bubbling to the extent we'd seek out the atheists. We would pick spiritual fights. We would engage in debates. I remember I used to walk up to people on the street and ask them if they knew Jesus. Don't do that so much anymore. Why? Get in the habit of sitting at a table when the waitress comes over. We're getting ready to ask a blessing over our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? It's an extension of the gospel. But even I get out of the habit of that. There's good news. I have great news for all of you. If we've allowed ourselves to get into that place, there is a way to be refreshed. And it's simple. It's just a return to Christ. It's to close the distance that we've created by allowing the troubles, the worries, the frustrations, the temptations. Close the distance. Get back to Jesus. Many of us have already done it several times in our life. And I want to encourage you. Just get used to turning around. Because occasionally we have to do that. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I don't want you to come up here because I've, I'm, I'm offering that to you. But if the Holy Spirit moves you, I want you to come up here. If you're worried about COVID, the Holy Spirit moves you. At the very least, come up here and sit on the front pew. When we close, we'll sit at a distance from each other and talk. If you're here today and you've already given your life to Jesus, do you need to be refreshed? Do you want that excitement that you once had to return? Do you want to be able to push aside all of the worries, the concerns, that this world we live in today has dropped in your lap. It's not something I can accomplish for you, but it is something that really is just simple in closing the distance between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com 
forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.